welcome to the TPM podcast with your host, Mario Gerard. This is part three, the final part of how to run a large-scale program, a conversation with Ria. If you haven't heard part one and two, definitely check that out before you go ahead and listen to this part. I hope you enjoy it. Continue listening. Talking about that, right? what are the common, most common pitfalls you see people make or, or people need to watch out for? So as a breath TPM, one of the things that I know that has happened to not only me, but the TPMs that I manage is when you work on a large scale program, you're working with a lot of different functional area owners and it's your job to hold them accountable for getting their work done. But a lot of times when you come in as the TPM and you come in as such a strong lead, they want to be able to rely on you instead to get the work done and for you to solve their problem. The issue with this is when you're a breath TPM, you have so many different areas that you are managing that if you were to do the work for everyone, instead of holding them accountable, ultimately you will fail. And so it's really important as a breath TPM to make sure that you understand your your scope, your responsibility, your accountability, and figure out who it is that you need to rely on to do what work and hold them to that. Yeah. And sometimes you don't have the right people. What I've done in those kind of situations is say, hey, talk to your senior leadership within your organization. And if you want, I will recommend somebody within that larger organization who I think can go and do this for you. But you don't step in and help fix somebody else's problem because then it becomes your problem and then they kind of walk away. So you want your POCs or your functional area owners to kind of own their space and to work on the problem and then get back to you on the milestones and how they're doing on it rather than you running those smaller programs. Right. And this is where that judgment call is really necessary. Like how much do you step in to help them get them on the right track Yeah. versus you continue ensuring that they keep on track versus you doing it yourself, right? And where you step in to help sometimes, right? Because sometimes they don't have a very strong lead. And then you might go in to reactivate that program or put it on the right track and then ensure that you're monitoring it to some degree, but you're not actually going and doing doing all the work, right? Right. And this is where trying to figure out kind of that line between how much do you go in and try and help help yourself versus how much do you invest instead in making an escalation, to leadership to ask for the help that you need, right? And so again, this comes down to a judgment call of where you spend your time as a TPM to make sure that your program as a whole is successful. Yeah, I think I think one of the key things which I've learned working at OCI was to always reevaluate where I'm spending my time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is on literally on a daily basis or on a weekly basis. Like, where am I spending most of my time? And is, is it the right place right. I'm spending that time? Is this what I'm required to do? And is this for the necessity of the program? And is it going to help in the long-term success of the program? Right. Because I think it goes to a second point to make about a potential pitfall that a breath TPM may have. It's it's knowing when, when to rely on an SME mm-hmm. versus doing something yourself, right? Yeah. So it's important to, for us as TPMs to under, understand a problem at hand, but knowing how deep do you need to go in that problem and how deep you need to go in the solution versus making sure that you're pulling in the right people to do it or just being the person that vets, are we solving it in the right way or solving the right problem, right? Because 
the end of the day, it's not your job to be the SME, but it is your job to know when to utilize the SMEs for their experience and how to gut check them to make sure that what they are delivering actually meets the business need. Yeah, and sometimes these SMEs, like they over-engineer things or they over-complicate <laughs> things, right? You're laughing and I'm laughing because we've been through this situation so many times. Oh, yeah. And you bring in an SME who's so focused, right, in the area and they know it so well that they sometimes really, really over-engineer and over-complicate oh, things. Not only that, a lot of times what will happen is this goes to this the thing that you mentioned earlier about scope creep. Maybe there's this problem that you recognize impacts your program and you need them to solve it. Oh, but this has been a pain point for them for the last how many years? And now this is their chance to get buy-in to make this awesome solution that will fix everything for the problem that they have which is only a portion of the problem that you have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, so you need you need them to solve X, but they need to solve X into 100. That's their biggest customer problem which they're trying to solve, but they haven't gotten an executive buy-in for that. But they want right. to like, just stack it on. Right. They want, they want to... I've seen this happen multiple times where essentially they it's like they want to ride your coattails. Oh, you have a priority for working on this thing? Oh, that means I can get the priority for working on this whole entire thing. Yeah. Because it's associated with your program, which, again, this ends up becoming scope creep that ends up being a lot bigger than you really need. Yeah, yeah. So it's very interesting, like two common pitfalls. Why don't you talk about like one of the programs which you worked on, uh, Ria, and kind of like walk us through like the complexity, the, the objective and how you went through that? Sure, yeah. So I'd say that the biggest and most complex program that I've ever owned was running the global government sector program for OCI. And this encompassed a suite of cloud regions, services, features, and processes that were needed to meet our government customer expectations. So it's almost like a new product. It's it's actually a set of products. Yeah, it's a set of products that enable a particular government to run on our own infrastructure. Right. And and the reason why it's a set of products is because, you know, for governments, you're not only looking at running on public clouds or public workloads, but they have different levels of classification. So we had unclassified levels of workloads that they may want to run, or you also had classified levels that are running at top secret or secret levels that require much more engineering to secure the workloads that they need to run. And when you talk about engineering, just to elaborate a little bit more, is physical infrastructure needs to be re-engineered. People need to be re-engineered because they have a certain level of clearance. The way they operate on the cloud differs. The software running on the cloud differs. So, so literally every single thing has to be re-engineered to meet this product need. Right. And so, you know, the way that we had to think about it is what is the lowest common denominator, right? So how do we make sure that we have the highest level of security in a product and making sure that we run it everywhere that way so that we try to minimize that divergence? But it did mean that we had to re-engineer the products not just for the government customers that we had or the government regions that we had, but all the way through the entire stack down to the public versions of it because we wanted to be able to minimize the divergence of software. This is a very, very interesting point that we didn't speak about this whole podcast, right? On all the programs we worked on, we tried to ensure divergence is limited. 
<laughs> and especially when you're working in an organization at the scale at which we worked in, like several thousand people strong, right? Divergence is a very important thing that we try to avoid. Tell me why is it so important? I mean... What is divergence? For Maybe for our <laughs> listeners, can we give an example of divergence? What do you mean by divergence? So, you know, by divergence, I mean really the code that's running in any of or these the way products, you operate the process. Or the way that you're operating these regions is important that we do it the same across all regions. Otherwise, the amount of work you are creating for yourself can double or triple yeah. or quadruple because now you have to update multiple code bases. You have to have different processes running for different regions. You have to hire different people to do all the different work across all these different regions. And so, and this simply multiplies the complexity. Every single team, supposing you have 200 different teams for like 200 plus products, mm-hmm. every single team will need to operate in a different way. And you have one garment, then you have another garment, then you have another garment. And so your divergence level becomes increasingly astronomically high. Right. Uh, and this is just not this particular problem Ria and I are talking about. I'm, I'm talking about this. Whenever you have any kind of large-scale program, you need to keep in mind that you're not introducing too many divergent processes or tools right. or architecture so that the teams don't have to carry that burden forward right. in having these different way they act for this particular type of problem. Right. Because right? what you're doing is trying to make sure that the products that you're creating are scalable. Right? Yes, yes. This is what we always talk about, right? Is the process you're creating scalable? Is the architecture that you're creating, is that ability to apply that all throughout the organization? Otherwise, you're going to have just too many people. Right. You, what you don't want to end up with is armies of people all doing different things when you could have architected your solutions in a way that allows you to scale to multiple regions without having to hire an army for every region. Yeah, yeah. So come, sorry, sorry I took you on that divergence question, <laughs> but I thought that was a kind of a very important point, especially when you're running large-scale programs, but do carry on. Okay, yeah. So so the Global Government Sector Program is the largest program that, that I've owned, and when you think about the sponsors and the stakeholders that were required for this program, at the end of the day, the customers were the various different governments, whether it's foreign or domestic. And we had a very specific sales organization that we were enabling by providing these products. These were you know, sales orgs that were the interface into our government customers who are going to be the ones to manage the RFPs, the request for proposals and responses that we would provide. And, you know, we'd work very tightly with them to understand and interpret requirements and provide our technical assessments of any gaps that might be missing or uh, products, feature gaps that are, are required. And then we had the executive sponsors for this program. And really this one went all the way up to our CEO at Oracle. In this case, it was Safra Katz. And this was a company-wide initiative that affected all services that we delivered and ultimately making this a huge sales opportunity because we wanted to be able to sell all products to these governments. And And when we talk about all products, it's kind of very interesting from an Oracle standpoint, right? Because Oracle has like, more than 300 different products. And governments might use any of these 
200 different products. Even if you cut it by half, they use 100 products plus, right? And you have to ensure that these 100 plus products are going to be able to run on an absolutely new type of environment. They're going to be able to deploy it, patch it, maintain it, uh, operationally manage it in this new type of environment. Right. And the thing to mention there is that was of the utmost importance because the customers had experienced where in one of our competitors, they had divergent code bases, which made it very difficult for them to scale in a way that allowed all products to enter their, their government regions. And that's exactly what our government customers did not want. So this is why we have to reemphasize the point of the importance of why we didn't want to have divergent infrastructure and technologies running in these regions. So outside of the you know executive sponsors, we had really the entire engineering org who are responsible for not only building the regions, but delivering the services and the features in these regions or creating new features that were needed to ensure that we met the government security requirements and that we we're able to maintain parity with every other public cloud offering that we had. And then last I'd mentioned in terms of key stakeholders were operations. You know, we had to have specialized operations teams that had to engage with this product in a way that met security standards as defined by the government. So, you know, it meant that we had to have appropriate security levels, clearance levels, and operate following very specific data, data sovereignty rules in how we manage and access customer information. So these were some of the core stakeholders that we had to work with. And when it came down to running the program and running these programs and these communication mechanisms to do so, there was a lot of planning involved when it came to creating the internal kind of vision for what the product was going to be, defining, you know, the product definition, defining what the resourcing requirements were to do this. In this case, as I mentioned at Oracle, we were very big on doing write-ups as opposed to PowerPoints. And so we started with very detailed product definition, you know, six pagers. And once we were able to get leadership buy-in, then we were able to summarize these requirements and these goals for the program in what we ended up doing as a, a PowerPoint roadshow, where we then went to all the different leaders in the org, explained to them what we were doing, making sure that we had buy-in at the next leadership level, and so that we could ultimately get the POCs assigned to our program. And then we held bigger tech talks for the entire engineering organization just to give everybody a, a heads up of what's coming, the importance of it, so that the next time we came knocking on your door making an ask for a particular feature or a particular new service, you knew what the importance was and why it was important that you prioritize it. Other things that we ended up doing for this program were creating weekly internal stakeholder meetings, executive reports that we would share at you know, critical projects, stakeholder meetings, created newsletters and wiki pages and confluence pages to track the project, the schedules, meetings, agendas, key requirements. I mean, you name it, all of the different tools that I mentioned earlier were all employed in this particularly large program. And the thing was, when I started the program, it started as building a net new region. 
And then the program grew to owning the entire suite of cloud regions that were needed for these customers. And so it ended up being, I started owning the program in one phase, which was the planning phase of a new region. And then I ended up taking on more pieces of this government sector in terms of building other cloud regions for other governments, like international governments for maybe the UK. And these ones were in different phases, not just in the planning phase, but maybe these ones were already being built I ended up taking on other regions that were in different phases, such as they had already been built, but they were in the support phase now where the product had been built for the U.S. government. But as customers were using it, now you end up in a situation where we're finding what gaps are missing, what features they need, what new services they need, and figuring out how to prioritize getting those requests into these regions. Additionally, These regions that we had built ended up taking the place of older versions of the cloud regions that we had. And so we ended up in having another program that was essentially to close out the existing regions as another kind of program in a different phase. And so ultimately, this program that I owned ended up being extremely complex because not only of the different amount of stakeholders that we had to work with, the amount of business opportunity that it brought, opening up multi-billion dollar bid responses, but also the complex nature of owning multiple regions, products, and various different life cycles of a program phase. That's so complex. Hearing you speak about it, it's so incredibly complex and so many different requirements, so many different teams to deal with. And I hope our listeners got that. This is kind of the end of, of this particular podcast. I'd really like to thank uh, Ria for the amazing, amazing work of giving us all this knowledge and all the all the knowledge she's built, sharing that with us. I've seen her in action and then she's like unbelievably fantastic in running these uh, kind of large programs. And that's something which we've done together. And it's it's incredibly fulfilling. And there's definitely a lot of challenges, but at the same time, it's very rewarding as well. So I hope all of you enjoy that. Definitely share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Thank you, Ria, so much for sharing all that. Do you want to say anything, final words, anything that you want to add? No, I think, you know, I'd just like to thank you, Mario, for giving me the opportunity to share all of my experience and knowledge. I think this is, being a TPM and gaining this kind of knowledge is not something that you can read in a textbook. It's not something that you can you can study for and achieve. It's something that you you learn through experience. And so what I found is the experience that I've gained only comes through trial and error. Yeah. And being able to talk about it now with you hopefully gives our listeners the opportunity to kind of get ahead of the curve in terms of understanding what to expect when they get into the situation themselves. Yeah, yeah. This is an incredible roller coaster of a journey, right? So thank you so much. I hope all of you really enjoyed that. And that, my friends, is the end of a three-part series on how to run large-scale programs. I really hope you enjoyed that. This is one of those most unique podcasts, I think, because there's so much information and knowledge from somebody who's so experienced in this field. I really hope you enjoy that. If you liked it, definitely share it with your friends. 
and leave us a review on one of your favorite podcasting apps. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to be producing a lot more podcasts. So if you would like me to contact somebody who you think would be a great candidate for a podcast, let me know. Thank you so much, my friends. Bye.